Good morning. So um, before we get into the message this morning, Pastor Victor asked me to read a psalm of, for the nation of Israel with the events happening there. And so if you could with, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 125. Do you guys mind if we stand and read together? All right, Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, Least the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to lift up Israel specifically to you, Lord. You, you tell us, you command us, in your word to pray for the people of Israel, pray for the peace of the nation, Lord. And so we're doing that this morning, Lord. We pray as a congregation for peace in Israel, Lord. Uh, we pray for wisdom to fall upon the leadership there, Lord, that they would remain upright before you, Lord. Lord, we just, um, just pray for revival there in Israel, Lord, that they would turn to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Lord, that through these trials, that they would look to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, we're on a kind of in-between books. We finished 1 Corinthians, and um, next week we're going to be in Hebrews. And so... Um, Pastor Victor asked if I could share this morning what was on my heart, and so um, I had something a few weeks ago that was, was really on my heart, but things kind of changed this week with the events uh, that took place last Saturday in Israel, and so I wanted to um, kind of just take a look at what the Lord's Word says that we are to do, and um, just as an overview, um, we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 38, probably some, maybe some verses many of you have looked to this week, <laughs> uh, but that's okay. We'll go through it as a church if you have or if you haven't. I promised my brother Mark that, uh, that we would talk about Libya this morning, <laughs> so we'll get to that. Um, just so you guys know, I, I looked this up, Israel makes up 0.12% of the world's population. Not, not 1.2, but 0.12% of the world's population. It's about 9 million people, a little bit over 9 million people. Uh, but yet the whole world seems to be interested in what's going on there. And um, it's pretty incredible. Um, the Bible says God's people there to be a light to the nations. 
And um, it seems like world's events are all centered around Israel. And certainly God's timeline, as, as things wrap up in the latter days, are indeed centered around Israel. Uh, the events that took place last Saturday, um, many of you know by now, were on the 50-year anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, uh, 1973, Egypt and Syria uh, came from opposite ends and attacked Israel. And that was the uh, 50-year anniversary of that event. Um, and as many of you know, the Israelis celebrate, uh, were celebrating the holiday as well as going into the Sabbath on Saturday uh, when the attack, the terrorist attack took place. Um, just, just as quick historic background, the, the area we call Palestine, I was actually pulling up some old National Geographics we have from the, from the 1920s. And um, they, they have pictures in there from Palestine. And they had this whole thing on Jerusalem. And it was in, incredible, you know, all the people that were living there at that time. And Palestine was given the name by the Greeks. So well before uh, Christ, but when the Greeks were the empire, they called it Palestine, that particular territory. And it comes from the Philistines, as you would imagine, right? The Philistines and Palestine there. And uh, it kept that name, the, the Palestine name, through the generations. Um, that National Geographic I looked at showed pictures of Jews and, and Arabs, of course, and, and Christian Europeans that all had settled in that territory, um, of course, in the 1920s. And we know in 1948, Israel became a nation, um, a small kind of sliver of land in that territory called Palestine. Um, if you took a blood sample of a... Of a what we call Palestinian or Arab Palestinians today and a, and a Jew, you would find they all come from a common descendant, which is Abraham. You know, they, they share DNA. They share the same um, bloodline through Abraham. They, uh, the Arabs, you know, through the, through the son Ishmael and, of course, uh, Isaac with, with the Jews, uh, but they all share that common uh, bloodline. Um, I want to, this morning, like I said, we're going to be in Ezekiel uh, chapter 38. Um, one thing I wanted to remind you guys, I'm going to read this verse from uh, Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Everything is in God's control. Even the kings, he decides who's in position. He's sovereign over the situation. And we should have comfort in that, guys. I know there could be a lot of anxiety with the world changing around us, uh, but we need to take comfort and, uh, in what... In, in his sovereign power over the situation. Um, the Bible gives us many markers about the end times in the latter days. Uh, you know, the scripture says that many will come claiming to be the Christ, that there will be wars and rumors of wars, famines. You know, we could say, check, check, check. We've seen that. We've seen pestilence and earthquakes, false prophets. Anybody see lawlessness will abound? Yeah, I heard some laughter, so. Um, there'll be a regathering of the nation of Israel in the last days. And we know that took place in 1948. 
Uh, Jesus describes the last days uh, as his coming to be likened to the days of Noah. Uh, Genesis 6, 5, this is the days of Noah. It says, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every, think about this, every intent of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's incredible. Nothing good was there. And of course, we can't judge the heart of man and the condition. Are we there today? I don't know. You know, are, are these, is this the condition we're living in? Um, only God knows that for sure. Um, the Bible also teaches us that the gospel will be spread through the whole world, you know, in those latter days. Are we there yet today? I don't know. We probably still have a little work to do, but, but it's, it's going out there, right? The gospel is being spread to the whole world. Luke 21, 28 says, Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And uh, if if you get nothing else this morning, but this is that we need to keep our eyes on Christ. That's what the scripture points us to. All these events can, we can look at these events and we're going to talk about some of them this morning. And our focus could be on that. And we could spend more time looking at our news apps than we spend in our word right, and looking to Christ. But Jesus tells us to look, look to him, look to the master. All right, so you guys, hopefully in your Bible, Ezekiel uh, chapter 38. And we are actually going to cover chapter 38, chapter 39, which means this is not going to be an in-depth teaching this morning. This is going to be a survey uh, to go through these verses. Um, this is a, is a great battle that will take place in the future, Uh, There's nothing historic that would tell us this battle has already happened. Um, This is something that will take place in the future of a conflict that will come. Ezekiel tells us in the latter days, or the Lord tells us through the prophet Ezekiel in the latter days, this will happen. Um, Just as a precursor, I'm going to tell you my kind of end times beliefs based on the scripture. Um, I do believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Uh, that we will be uh, caught up to the clouds to meet the Lord there. Um, After such time, then the tribulation time, the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble, or the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year great tribulation period. Um, God puts a specific timeline on that and and shortens those days for the the people's sake. Uh, But judgment will pour out on the earth. I don't believe the church is um, going to be subject to the wrath of God in those days. I think we will be raptured out. However, I do believe that many, many people will come to faith in those days. The Bible says tribulation saints. There's going to be great revivals in those days. Um, The return of Jesus after the seven-year tribulation will be a physical return on earth. The second coming, the Mount of Olives, Uh, We can read about that really throughout the scriptures, his second coming, and it'll be a physical return there in Jerusalem. Um, And it'll follow what a lot of people call the Battle of Armageddon, although that term is not really in the Bible, but we see the armies gathering in the Valley of Armageddon, that all the nations will come together there. And Jesus, it won't be much of a battle, by the way, Um, spoiler alert, uh, once Jesus touched down. So... After such time, Jesus will reign here on earth as king. There won't be any more uh, voting uh, machines to worry about. 
Uh, don't worry about saving the democracy or anything like that, because Jesus will be king, a righteous and true king, and uh, it'll be a glorious, glorious time. Um, now, as we go through Ezekiel 38, uh, one thing I want to say is that we may not grasp all the details. I was, I was thinking of this with the nation of Israel. When the nation of Israel came about in 1948, if you look at commentaries before that time, talking about the regathering of the people, you'll notice that a lot of people were saying, well, it's probably more of a spiritual regathering. The hearts of the Jews will come together. You know, it's more of a spiritual thing, right? And because they didn't, they couldn't conceptualize that a nation would be rebirthed again. It never has happened before in history. And so as we're looking at these verses today, um, I will give you some opinions and realize that it could be uh, looking back and maybe foolish, right? So um, we'll, we'll do our best on the information we have available, but we may not know everything and know that someday we will understand these things and everything will be like, oh, now I get it, right? Um, but 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and so we're going to look at the scripture with that in mind, that it is for our instruction um, and is profitable for us to go through. Okay, let's get into it. Ezekiel 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog to the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tugomar from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gather from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Okay, so first of all, we get a lot of names at the beginning. Some of these may be familiar to you or may not be familiar to you. The... the uh, one of them is a, is a person, and we see it right off, the, who the prophecy is for is this person called Gog. Later on, it'll, it'll refer to his pronouns in verse 17 as he and him. Um, so those are, those are God-given pronouns there. And um, if you recognize this name, you may recognize it from Genesis chapter 10, so the table of nations. Ezekiel's referring back to the table of nations. A lot of these areas that we'll look at are uh, grandsons of Noah. Okay, so Shem, Japheth, and Ham, right? The sons, and then their kids, their descendants. 
are going to be these names that you recognize here. Now, you, you probably saw Ethiopia and Libya, and you say, I didn't know those were grandsons of, of, uh, of Noah. Well, they, they weren't. <laughs> you might have a footnote in your Bible. Um, I do in my Bible where uh, verse 5 there where it says Ethiopia, um, the Hebrew, in actual Hebrew, says Cush, which is, is there. And then uh, Libya says put. And so the English translation puts it into to modern terms, or at least when the translation was done, of those particular areas. Um, so let's look at this. Uh, can you do the map? Thank you. Okay, cool. Okay, so you'll see Israel, the bottom left corner. Um, I'm just going to point out the, in Genesis 10, it gives us a general idea geographically where these nations went, okay? And then we take that in conjunction with historic records, and we could put kind of general areas around it. Probably the easiest one to recognize is Persia, which is modern-day Iran. No one really argues that. That's, that's Persia. It's an ancient empire. It's been around for a long time. Um, some of the other ones, there's some speculation, and that's why I put a, I kind of created this moan. If, if you Google like uh, Ezekiel 38 map or Genesis 10 map, you'll get uh, some minor variation. You'll find out that a lot of these are in the north, just like Ezekiel says. Um, but I put, you know, kind of Magog, Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal uh, to the far north. Many believe that Magog is Russia. That's what many people teach today. Many people believe that. Um, we know, if you draw a line north of Israel, that's pretty much what you're going to run into is Russia. Um, the other locations to Gomar, uh, Gomer, most people believe modern-day Turkey, or it could be further up into Europe, like southern Europe there. Um, but generally in the north here, we could see some of the nations that will make up this coalition talked about in Ezekiel 38. Um, on the south side of Israel, you can see Israel now on the top, top right corner of the map here. We have Libya or Put and uh, Cush or Ethiopia. Now, the reason why I want to look at the Hebrew names just real quick, because it doesn't, the modern borders of Ethiopia are not the same as Cush. Cush would extend into Sudan, um, and same with Put could extend into Algeria. And so the, the actual territories could be slightly different than what we see on a modern map. Um, I highlighted also, you see this name on here, right underneath Egypt called Mizoram. Now, one thing that's interesting as we're going through this is Egypt is not on here at all. They're seemingly a neutral party. Uh, we would expect to see Egypt, which, of course, Ezekiel would know of Egypt, or Mizoram, which is the people that settled there um, in Genesis chapter 10, and neither show up in any of the text here. Uh, so it's kind of interesting because they're border of Israel and have historically been involved in pretty much every battle. But in this particular battle, they're not, they don't seem to be involved. Um, so we see this uh, potential alliance, Iran being a key player, obviously, um, Russia, more than likely, Turkey, um, and then also some of these countries in Northern Africa um, also being a part of this alliance. I um, just kind of looking at some data, I know you guys probably know by now, but the Iranians um, and the Russians do have a 
somewhat of a military alliance. I guess they sell military arms back and forth. Uh, the Russians buy drones that have been used in Ukraine from Iran. Iran buys rocketry from Russia. So they have some sort of trade alliance, uh, at least militarily. I'm not sure about, um, you know, coalitions beyond that. Um, just so you know, from a peace treaty standpoint, right now, Israel has a peace treaty with Egypt. 1979, that's, that was the first Arab nation that had a peace treaty with Egypt. And uh, they have a peace treaty with Jordan, which is on their, their east uh, border. And they also recently, in 2020, signed peace treaties via the Abraham Accords with the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, which is in the Arabian Peninsula. Okay, so when will this battle happen? I, I think we could pretty much certainly say this is not the Battle of Armageddon. And the biggest reason why, or the few biggest reasons why is, one, these are specific nations that are brought out here. The Battle of Armageddon will be all nations will come up. Uh, so we have specific nations that are identified as part of this coalition. Um, we also see Israel being as in a time of peace in this battle. You, you probably noticed that. That seems a little odd, especially if we're talking about the latter part of the tribulation. To describe that as a time of peace would seem a little strange. Um, you can read through Revelation, the second half of the tribulation, and see this is not a time of peace. Um, the other thing is that there'll be a great spiritual awakening at this end of this battle. And we also see that the implements of war used by the enemies were used as fuel by the Israelis for seven years um, after this battle concludes. And so it seems uh, quite a bit different than the Battle of Armageddon um, at the end of the tribulation period. And so what we could say is one this hasn't happened yet, at least in known historic record. It, it, it's definitely a latter-day um, prophecy. And two, it's probably not the Battle of Armageddon. So somewhere between here and there, <laughs> this battle will happen. It could happen, many people think, at the beginning of the tribulation period, uh, because the seven years is mentioned, that that'll be, you know, potentially the rapture of the church and this battle happening right then. Or it could even happen before the tribulation period. There's nothing really in the text that would say that it could not happen before the tribulation period. Um, all right, so let's continue on. Verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. Again, speaking to Gog here. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Okay, so we, we see here, the, there's probably a few other nations you've noticed. Um, I'm going to go back to the map here. We have Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish, and their young lions <laughs> are then mentioned here. And they're there's, there's two views of this that I've, that I've seen that they are 
what, they're obviously questioning what's going on. Now, what's their motivation is really the two views. Um, they're, not a, they're not a part of the coalition. They're not a part of the military coalition, but they, they, uh, they're taking notice of this event that's happening. Um, I, met, I put the, you guys remember the Queen of, Queen of Sheba from uh, Solomon, Solomon's time? So we don't know exactly where, but the Arabian Peninsula, probably past Saudi Arabia, could be Yemen, Oman, could be United Arab Emirates, somewhere um, on the Arabian Peninsula. Dedan, most people believe, is Saudi Arabia. Um, and then Tarshish is somewhere out there. <laughs> um, people put it, the, you guys remember uh, Jonah, right? When he was supposed to go to Nineveh, where did, he, where did he get on a boat to go? Tarshish, right? And so Tarshish is far away from Nineveh. Um, and so we don't know exactly where uh, most um, people will put it in Spain, um, the, uh, the, think of the Mediterranean, the coast there, the farthest end is, is Spain. And it could certainly be Spain. Um, the historian Herodotus says that Tarshish was beyond the pillars of Hercules. And we all know the pillars of Hercules, right? Uh, <laughs> no, from Ben. The pillars of Hercules... Um, was the, the Strait of Gibraltar. So it was from the, the path that lead from the Mediterranean into the Atlantic. And so it could be on the coast of Spain. It could be on the coast of Africa. And some people put Tarshish as far as England. Okay, so you go through the strait and you go up to England. Um, so that's is a ways away. We'll put it that way. Um, but these countries and Tarshish's young lions, which could be uh, colonies from Spain or colonies from England, uh, new nations that have been birthed out of there, um, have taken notice to this event. And there's, again, two takes that I've seen. One is they want to profit from it. So maybe they're going to sell goods or sell military equipment. They're not going to partake militarily, but they're looking to profit. Uh, the other is they're objecting to it. Um, they are questioning their motivation. Basically, the reason why they bring it up here is these nations may be coming together to condemn it. Not, not militarily, they're not going to help Israel, but they're maybe going to make a statement together to say we condemn this, this coalition. Um, so either of those, again, are, are a possibility. Now, you'll probably notice about this taking plunder that there's going to be a lot of riches in the land, I found this quote from uh, Mark Twain. It's going to be really hard to see. Um, thank you. This was written by Mark Twain in 1869 in a book he wrote called The Innocence Abroad. I'll read it to you. Um, but it's interesting, the kind of the visual he gives us of Palestine here. Of all the lands there are for dismal scenery, I think Palestine must be the prince. The hills are barren. They are dull of color. They are unpicturesque in shape. The valleys are unsightly deserts, fringed with a feeble vegetation that has an expression about it of being sorrowful and despondent. The Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee, sleep in the midst of a vast stretch of hill and plain, wherein the eye rests upon no pleasant tint, no striking object, no soft picture, dreaming in a purple haze or muddled with the shadows of clouds. Every outline is harsh. Every feature is distinct. There is no perspective. Distance works. No enhancement here. 
It is hopeless, dreary, heartbroken land. And uh, you can just from his words, imagine just this desolate place. Now, I've never been to Israel. I guess I know some of you have. Um, but just looking at the photos, looking at their, um, their farmland and the output of, of that land is very significant. It's very rich indeed in the Arab world. Um, and can you go back to that picture, Jordan? I mean, this is the background I put this quote on is from that, uh, from Israel. Um, they are a very rich nation indeed. They, uh, I think I, I saw that before uh, 1948, about 2% of the land had, had uh, foliage or trees. And now it's about 8% is covered in forest. Um, and so the Lord has really blessed Israel since 1948. They've taken, a, when I lived in Colorado, we had this idea of called zero scaping. And so every time uh, we, we get droughts often, and so they wouldn't want you to water things. So everything would turn brown. And so we would do zero scaping. So everything would, we, you know, well, we didn't do it, but a lot of people did. They would change everything to rocks and cactus, you know, stuff that didn't need to be um, watered. Well, Israel has taken the opposite approach. They said, we're going to plant it. We're going to plant it. We're going to plant the trees. We're going to plant the farmland. And then we'll see if the Lord brings the rain. And he has. He's blessed the nation of Israel. Um, and we can see from the text this indeed is a time where the nation has been blessed with great riches and they, the nations around them are out to get them and out to plunder their riches. Uh, all right, verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on the day when my people Israel dwell safely with you not, sorry, safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me. When I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes, thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophet of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? Keep in mind, this, this verse 17 kind of struck me because I'm thinking this prophecy was written to Gog. And I imagine someday, I don't know if it's going to be one of his commanders or somebody's going to be like, hey, I was reading this in Ezekiel. And that verse 17 strikes me because it's like, thus says the Lord, are you he? You know, and I, I just imagine Gog's going to be reading this someday. Um, this person, this commander or this president or this leader, whoever Gog is, and he's going to be getting a little hot around the collar, I have a feeling, when he's reading this verse. Um, but here we see, um, you know, God calling him out directly here. Um, let's Continue on, verse 18. And it will come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken. Surely in that day, there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of heavens, 
the beast of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for the sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on many people who are with him. Flooding rain, great hailstone, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am Lord. The, the battle will be won in a decisive victory. I was um, saw this article yesterday because this part about an earthquake kind of struck me, but this was from the Iranian foreign minister on Saturday, yesterday, called on Israel to stop its attack on Gaza, warning that the war might expand to other parts of the Middle East um, and that they would make Israel suffer a huge earthquake. So Iran is threatening a huge earthquake. And I just, we were looking at this text and it's like, yeah, you, you have no idea. There will be a huge earthquake coming. Um, I don't think it's exactly what they, they're thinking, but uh, that will happen. All right. Um, let's go to uh, chapter 39. And you say, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bring you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause your arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the people who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort and to the beast of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord and the Holy One of Israel. Surely it is coming and it shall be done says the Lord God, this is the day of which I have spoken. Now, um, what I want to, I'm going to do a little sidebar here. There, there are several nouns in here, and I was doing a little research on this, and, and hopefully this is helpful for, for you. Um, the, the original language is, is Hebrew, and in Hebrew, nouns are descriptive. And what I mean by that is when we say the word like woodpecker, right? The, the, that's a noun. It describes, but it also describes the bird, the function of the bird. Um, when we say words like flamethrower, it's a noun and it describes the function of the noun, right? And this is how the Hebrew language is built. Everything noun not only is the noun, but it describes the function of that, whatever that is, Right? If I say dog in English, 
This would not really make sense in Hebrew because it doesn't describe the function of the dog. But if I called it a barker or a yapper, depending on the dog, right? Uh, If I called it a barker, then you would know, oh, that's a dog, right? So this is how the Hebrew language is built. And so when we see words in our text like horse or bow or arrow or sword, right? You have to think of the function. The horse is the one that moves the people quickly across the land. It's literal would be a leaper, right? And sometimes it's translated as chariot. Sometimes it's translated as horse, just that it meets the function of moving people quickly across the land. That's all it is. If it's a bow, it's a launcher. It's meant to launch an object. That's all it is. If it's a arrow, it's a piercer. It's meant to pierce people, right? If it's armor, it's body armor, right? It has a function. So think of the function of the word more than the actual word. And that's what's being described in Hebrew um, is the function of the word. Uh, some people kind of make the exercise of say, well, maybe in the future we'll run out of fuel and we'll have to resort to ancient, you know, fighting methods with swords and bows and arrows. I, I don't, you don't need to go there really with Hebrew because the Hebrew language is sufficient enough to apply to modern um, warfare, right? Uh, these words that are used here. Okay, uh, back to the text. This next section of scripture is really interesting um, because it describes a cleanup process that really is not described about any other war. It kind of points to maybe a biological, um, you you probably saw in chapter 38 where it said pestilence was going to be carried out. And now we have this cleanup process that's going to be described. Um, Was there a biological weapon that was, uh, or, or nuclear or chemical weapon? And this cleanup process has to happen. And so let's go to the text here. Verse 9. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, the javelins and the spears. And they will make fires with them seven years. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any of the forest because they will make fires with the weapons. And they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillage them, says the Lord. It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by the east of the sea. This is the Dead Sea that it's describing here. And it'll, it will obstruct travelers because there they will bury Gog. And it's believed it's east because of the way the winds flow from the sea, that this will make sure whatever's there, it doesn't come towards Israel, but it will obstruct the travelers and all his multitude. Therefore, they will call it the Valley of Haman Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of the seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land. And when anyone sees a man's bone, he shall put a marker on it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. The name of the city will be Hamonah. Thus, they shall cleanse the land. 
So very interesting details. I don't know how this will play out, but it's interesting that this cleanup process, one, was a huge effort, uh, took a considerable amount of time, and they designated a specific place that would um, not harm the people of Israel to bury all this stuff. And so that seems to be something um, that they were concerned about um, for the cleanup process. Okay. Um, this section, the next section we're going to go through, 17 through 20, is a, a feast for the, uh, for the carnival, for the, you know, the, the buzzards, what are they called? Uh, <laughs> coyotes, the buzzards, the, uh, the vultures. Um, okay, so verse 17, And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird and every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come, gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I have sacrificed for you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel, that they may eat flesh and drink blood. Again, we're talking about the animals. <laughs> you shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat till you are full and drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men, and with all the men of war, says the Lord. Verse 21, Then I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed, and on my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day forward. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquities because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies and they, they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanliness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring you back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. After they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness, in which they are unfaithful to me, when they dwelt safely in their own land, and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, so 1948, regathering, I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. And I will not hide my face from them anymore. And I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. And that's where we finish. There's, we see right now a lot of, Orthodox Jews with the veil over their face. They can't see that Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But the conclusion of this event is a lifting of the veil and a spiritual awakening in Israel um, to turn to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, all right, so we've, we made it through. Um, I, I want to leave you with kind of three things. How are we to respond um, to these times and seasons that we are in. The first and most important 
is Jesus is coming. And are you ready to see him? Right? Are you ready to see Jesus Christ? Uh, This is not just about the future. It's about your future, right? Each one of us will stand before Christ. We won't be there with our parents. We won't be there with our husband or wife or kids. It'll be you and Jesus face to face. And I'm going to steal this. Hannah sent me a message. Um, She was at chapel this week and Pastor uh, Ken Bevel, and many of you may never heard of Ken Bevel, and I had never heard of Ken Bevel, uh, but he was in the movie Courageous and um, Fireproof, <laughs> the, the Kendrick Brother movies. Uh, he was one of the main characters in there, and he's a pastor in South Georgia, and he was at Truett McConnell, and he, he said, check, it, check out, uh, you know, check out the, the message or whatever she texted us. And um, so I watched, I was able to watch, and so he, he said this, he said, Something to the effect, I'll probably not say it right, but what are the worst words you could ever hear? And before I got to really think it through, I, uh, he, he gave me the answer, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely it. Um, and he says, you're standing before Jesus, and he says, I never knew you. That's it. That's the worst words, right? And uh, you guys probably know the line, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And Jesus is warning us in the scripture that you must know him. That's, it's not a, uh, you know, I think James tells us something like, well, you believe in God, great. So do the demons and they tremble, you know. Um, Jesus gives us that warning and he says, you know, people will stand before him and say, hey, you know, I, I went to church for 50 years every Sunday. I taught in the children's ministry. I shared Christ with my neighbor. And the response could be, I never knew you. Um, how important is that word? I, you know, the word no is important to us. It should be important to us. And it's the same word that uh, the scripture uses to talk about Joseph when uh, with Joseph with Mary, you know, when they were betrothed to be married. And uh, the scripture tells us that Joseph didn't know Mary until after Jesus was born. And now you can't tell me that he didn't know her, her name or didn't believe she existed, right? Uh, he, he knew enough about her, but he didn't know her intimately until that time. And that's the same word that Jesus uses. And so it's important that we know Jesus and if, you know, after the message here, we'll, we're going to do a uh, close in worship. And if you don't know Jesus, please come up and ask for prayer. Um, seek and you will find, he says, right? So take the step forward. And, and there's, there's power in proclaiming that in front of people. Not just, not just say, yeah, I need to know you, Jesus. But if the Lord's tugging on your heart to come up and say, I need to know Jesus. There's power in that. Um, and so do that. Take that step today. Come up and ask for prayer. Uh, the second thing that we need to do in uh, Psalm 122, verse 6, we read, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
May they prosper who love you. And uh, we need to continue to do that as a church, continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for wisdom there, pray for God's will to be done through those uh, decisions that are made there. And then last, I'm going to read just one more uh, scripture to you in Mark 13, 32 through 37. You can turn with me if you like. I have to get there myself. Is that we, we look to the Lord and, and Jesus gives us this, um, this image here, this, this uh, parable here, um, Matthew 13, verses 32 through 37. And I am closing here. But on that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, and that's before morning, by the way, or in the morning, least coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And again, like I started the message, watch is watch the master. Watch the Lord. Watch Jesus Christ. It's uh, tempting, and you'll notice when your anxiety picks up is you're probably not watching the Lord, right? You're watching the news. You're watching uh, the things going on around us, the lawlessness that's going on around us. We need to continue to watch the Lord and keep our eyes on him. All right, let's pray. Oh, sorry, the worship team can come on up. I'm out of practice. Ah, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for gathering us here together, Lord. I, just glorious to come together as the body of believers, uh, to spend time together uh, Sunday morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have the freedom to do this. Lord, I continue to lift up Israel to you, Lord, the, what's going on there, uh, what's going on geopolitically around the world, Lord. You know, the, you know Lord, what's, what's going on. You know the hearts of man. You know the uh, just the conditions that people are in, what's going on, Lord. I just pray for your, your power among the nations, Lord. I pray that, uh, that you continue to lead our lives and guide us, Lord. Lord, I just pray for anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, that they would have the courage to come up after this song and just get prayer, Lord, and ask for prayer to get to know you, Lord. Um, I, the Bible says you, you must be born again. Uh, that's, a, that's a change in our lives, Lord. And that's, that's where we move from that old man to that new man, Lord. And, um, and Lord, if anyone is in that position today, that they would come forward and, and respond to that, the tugging on their heart, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.